my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. So Amy, today we are sitting down with one of my favorite people, Susie Welch. I've known Susie for a number of years. I interviewed her years ago and kind of really just clicked with her immediately. And amazingly, this is her first interview since her iconic husband, Jack Welch, passed away in March. And I am really honored to be talking to her today. I was especially excited for you to meet her because she's a mom of four and she's so relatable. I mean, I am as excited as you for this conversation, even though I haven't met Susie. I follow her on Instagram and she says some really kind of profound things about how she's how she's gone through her own life from being a single mom of four to this amazing love story with Jack Welch and all through it, building this remarkable career of her own from being the editor of the Harvard Business Review to best-selling books. And so I, there's, uh, I'm just really excited. So let's talk to Susie. So I'm sure it's been a grueling 2020. Oh. Did, did you feel prepared for what happened in March? We were very prepared. I have to say that, you know, I have um, friends who have lost their husbands and some of them have had to deal with both the grief of losing your partner, but also the shock. And one thing that we did not have was shock. We were prepared. We knew about two years beforehand that we probably didn't have two years. And then we, um, a year beforehand, Jack was in the hospital. He had kidney disease and he was in the hospital and one, and we, the results of his tests were not going in the right direction. And, um, at the time our son was engaged and one of the doctors, um, said, I think you better, um, see if you can expedite that wedding. Knowing what was impending was, um, you know, it was in many ways his sort of 
finest uh, um, hours uh, because he was unbelievably good in preparing and um, talking to me about my next life and making sure that he said his goodbyes to everybody thoroughly. And, um, and so, yeah, we were prepared. And I actually was able to grieve with Jack, which is, um, I've talked to other people who have gone through it. And that's a blessing in a way is that we were able to talk, you know, a lot, you know, all the things I would have wanted to say to him after he died, I was able to say to him while he was still living. So, Was Jack able to plan the memorial with you? Yeah. Um, Yes. To, yes, somewhat. We had one (laughs) strong differing opinion in that he wanted me to deliver the eulogy. And uh, we fought about it, you know, it wasn't really a fight, but he was like, you got to do it, Susie. Nobody can do it but you. And I was like, Jack, it's highly irregular for the wife to deliver the eulogy. It just doesn't happen. (laughs) And uh, he was like, no, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I I said to him, I I just can't do it. And I told him I would like Ken and and Mike to do the eulogies. And he was like, come on. And, you know, I finally, I I finally said, I'm fine. I'll do it. And knowing full well, I was never going to do it because what was he going to do? He'll yell at me when we see each other again, but (laughs) he couldn't, but I couldn't fight him anymore. And it meant a huge amount to him. And we had a three day wake um, where people came to our home and I was able to say everything I need to say about him to people close to him. So, one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard was years ago when I had the opportunity to interview you on Obsessed TV, which was <laughs> another lifetime ago. Uh, oh. You told the story of how you met Jack Welch and how it changed your life. And I would love for you to share that story today. Mm, it was 20 years ago. So I was the editor of the Harvard Business Review and Jack had retired, just retired from being the CEO of GE. And that was like sort of the interview get of the <laughs> of my career. Um, and he didn't want to talk to me. Um, he thought that HBR, the Harvard Business Review was a sort of fat headed intellectual, uh, you know, academic journal. He wanted no part of, he didn't like um, academics, period, hated academics. And uh, finally, a mutual friend, a professor at Michigan Business School, persuaded him to meet me for an interview. And I um, went to 30 Rock and went up in that elevator and uh, never, nothing was ever the same again because we met and we just had incredible, um, uh, just an incredible connection. And I mean, you could make the case, even though it sounds incredibly corny and hokey and unbelievable. And um, as an aside, I'll tell you that I'm a realist. Okay. So I say that because I do not believe in love at first sight. I do not believe lightning strikes. I do not believe in all that stuff. I'm a woman who was divorced with four young children. I didn't believe in any of that stuff. And yet it happened to me. Um, and we did fall in love. And and then we sort of blew up our lives. I had less of a life to blow up because I was divorced. and um, But Jack was still married at the time, not happily, obviously. And uh, we I got fired. And Okay, but let's not gloss over this. Thank, so, God, thank God there was so, no Twitter then, all I can say. Thank God. <laughs> right, exactly. That's so funny. It's true. You beat social media. So, thank God. So yeah. that, back then, you were a superstar. You were Susie Wetlaufer, editor-in-chief yeah. of Harvard Business Review. Yeah, you well, worked your ass off yeah. to yeah. get there. And you had four young kids yeah. and were a single mom, divorced. Yeah. yeah. You walk into that room what what went through your mind? I mean, after well, I was I, I I was very excited to meet to be doing this interview, which was going to be a huge get for me. And I, you know, one of the first things I thought was, why is he looking at me that way? Because his eyes were like cutting a hole. Now this became a very familiar look because then he spent the next twenty years looking at me that way with these eyes just cutting right <laughs> through me. But I was like, why is he looking at me that way? And I remember, like after the interview, actually thinking to myself. Um, uh, no wonder he's so famous because he looks at people that way. But I found out later that he did actually only really looked at me that way. And he liked me a lot. And he said to me at the end of that interview, among many other things that were said in those couple of hours, he said to me, you're my new best friend. And it was true. We were best friends right away. We just really, I mean, I have to say, we we just really, really, really dug each other. Um, and it was just, you know, uh, um, it was just, we just had been waiting for each other our whole lives. I mean, I don't know any other way to put it. It's so corny and geeky, but I mean, it, it came, you know, you could have thought, you know, and there were plenty of people who thought for the first couple of years, well, this will fizzle out. And, you know, this is a flash of the pan, but you know, I loved him till his dying breath. It was me and the kids had just gone to bed and it was me and our, our most beloved dog. So it was what we thought we had, we did have. 
and um, and we would have had it for another 20 years, but we um, nobody gets that lucky, I guess. Well, I loved your love story then, and it brings me to tears again now. It really is amazing. Thank you. I was a lucky, lucky person. What was it like dealing with the blowback? I mean, because oh you were God, this like, it was... massively successful woman, right? Well, with an incredible I mean, career. It, in my in my field. Okay. I mean, it's not like I was, you know, like, uh, you know, but I, in my field, which was business journalism, I was doing quite well. It was terrible. I mean, it was like, people said the shittiest things. Oh, so, oops, can I swear on this podcast? You can bleep me of out. Of course. I, yeah, I, I yeah, mean, that's people, fine. people said, good. you know, I was you know, I'm just an ultimate bore. Like I don't drink and I, I really, I don't drink. I don't, I, the first glass of wine I had was with Jack because my dad had uh, not been great with alcohol. And so I was, a, I don't drink. I don't, I didn't party at four young children. I like worked and went home and like cooked poorly for my children. And, and <laughs> the stuff people said was like, I remember when my nanny said to me, wow, you had a really amazing life. Too bad you weren't there because just, I was my first experience of people just making stuff up like totally made up dancing on bar tops in like London is like what and it was just crazy and well, so what so so wait wait so what happened the day after so you you have this interview he says yeah. you're his best friend yeah when's the next time that you see him two weeks later the next day I had to fly to North Carolina where I was moderating a huge symposium there was like 3,000 people there and I was moderating two people on stage talking about something about business and literally the name Jack Welch kept being mentioned. And every time they said Jack Welch, literally I would like a thunder thing would go through my, I was like, what? And then I guess I went back maybe a week. I talked to him every single day after that. I mean, literally he called me nonstop. So we were in immediate communication constantly. And then two days later, he was going on Squawk Box on CNBC and he said, here are some of the questions they're going to ask me what should I answer? He sent them to me by email. And I wrote funny answers for all of them, like really funny answers. I thought they were funny. Okay, whatever. But I sent them <laughs> back and he like called me and he said like, I'm dying. These are so funny. You're the funniest broad I ever met. And we had the same sense of humor, which we later would spend 20 years torturing the children with our same sense of humor, which we found to be hysterical, but somehow never seemed to crack them up as much as it cracked us up. And <laughs> then I had to go back three days later to take the photograph with him for the interview. Oh. And so I went back to 30 Rock and we were posing together for the interview, for the editor's letter. Back when there were magazines and you had an editor's letter and the picture of you. And I, we were posing for that. And I thought he's still looking at me that way. And we'd had this great, we had been on the phone constantly. And then after the photo shoot was over, he said to me, what time are you done with work today? And I said, well, I'm I'm flying back at five. And he said, I'll pick you up at six. And I was like, what? And he said, I'll come by your hotel. And I'll pick you up. I'll take you out for dinner at six. And I thought I went back to my hotel and I called my sister and I said, I don't think this is a date because he's married. And he didn't say it was a date, but I think he wants to take me out to dinner. Or maybe he just does this with everybody. And I thought he would maybe not show up or he would show up really late. And he showed up at five of six and he took me out to dinner. And then um, we, um, it was very funny because this shows what a, what a beginner I was and just how the world worked. We went up to a restaurant and then I kept on thinking the restaurant's going to, we were talking and talking and talking and talking. And I kept on thinking the restaurant's going to close. The restaurant's going to close. And, um, everybody was gone and all the waiters were standing around just watching this couple. It was like maybe one o'clock in the morning, but I wasn't tired. I was just so, we just couldn't stop talking. We had a lot to talk about. And Jack stood up and he went to go talk to like the maitre d'. And the next thing I know, everyone was really smiling and they kept the restaurant open till five for us. And I guess he had gone and paid them all off. And oh my goodness. It, and we talked, it started to get light. And then at five, we walked into the lobby and he said, and I told him, I said, just remember these three things about me. And they were just sort of about my personal stuff and just the baggage I had because of my divorce. And he said, okay. And we said, good night. There was no clarity about what was going on. Um, he had said to me that he had a bad marriage. And I said to him, I think you should fix your marriage. And he said, it's beyond fixing. And then we said, good night. Contrary to what I said and page six said, and all those other people said, we said good night. And he went his way and I went mine. 
honest to God. And I went upstairs to my hotel room and he went off and I was sitting in my bed thinking, what just happened? And my phone rang and he said, here are the three things you told me I need to remember about you. And, and then, and then it just went from there. Wow. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I can't get enough of this story. It's Um, a great story. It is great. It is great. I have to tell you, it's a great story. And now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So Susie, I know, so Amy is a mom of four young kids, Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. six and under, Mm-hmm. And her life is so chaotic, and yeah. I we've talked about the fact that it's almost like you can't see straight when you're you're you've that many you know I have three kids she has four you're so exhausted all the time and you're pulled in so many directions and then to have you know falling in love mm-hmm. on top of mm-hmm. it and then what happened at Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. take us through what it was like when you went back to work and the kind of quote unquote scandal broke where the interview subject and the interviewer fell in, had fallen in love. Right. So I went back to work and at that point it was still platonic with Jack, although it was obviously very charged. Okay. But it was still, nothing had happened. And, um, and then I, I saw him again and he said, look, I'm going to divorce my wife and marry you basically. And I said, how many women do you say this to a week? And he said, I, he looked at me like with total hurt and surprise. And he said, I've never said this to anyone before. So I, I mean, it sounds crazy, but I already loved him. And I went to my, the interview was written and I went to my bosses at HBR and I said, we need to pull the interview because I am entering into a relationship with Jack Welch. Had not yet entered into one, but was knew I was going to. And, um, and they pulled the interview and suspended me. Suspended you. (sighs) 
but you had done the ethical thing. Yes, that was my argument. Yes, I certainly argued that I had done the right thing, but they kept on referring to it as the fling. And I remember seeing an interview and saying to them, no, no, you're, it's not a fling. He's going to marry me. And I remember them all laughing at me derisively. Like they were laugh. They burst out laughing. Um, and I said, no, he is going to marry me. I, I'm going to be like his wife. And they just, mo- they were, it was so mocking. Um, and then this is when, as I wrote about it in 10, 10, 10, and this is when my, one of my bosses famously said to me, you will never work again. You will never <gasps> work again. And um, it was a woman who said it to me. And I said, I, and I remember feeling sad and I went home and I remember after that meeting, this is when I was officially fired and she said to me, you'll never work again. You're just a disgrace. And, um, and I went home and I was, I remember crying to Jack and he just laughed. He said, what a joke. Uh, you know, he got it. Um, and, uh, he, you know, and then I remember when, uh, winning debuted as number one on the New York Times bestseller list, where it stayed a very long time. I remember him saying to me, "Should we send a copy to her?" Um, and <laughs> it was, uh, uh, you know, it, but I was really hurt and devastated, and I believed her. I mean, and and it's it's funny to look back and and think that I did, but I did. You've you've said since then. I read in an interview where you said your biggest mistake was believing that the people you worked with were your friends. Yeah, that was a big learning. How do you feel about that now? And and I mean, you're a career expert now. Like, what advice do you give to people on that front? Because I I will say, I'm with you. Yeah. Well, I do have real work friends. I do have true work friends. I I do. And I I'm older and wiser now about who's a friend and who's not a friend. I mean, I definitely learned in that experience. I remember saying to Helen Reese at the time, I learned that I can trust. Um, like I could probably trust 10 people in this world. And she said 10, like that number was too high. And I think that it's, you know, I, 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 I think that it's a big mistake to think work is family and family, uh, you know, that work, that the people at work are your family that happens a lot. And it's not, that's not true. Um, and I do, but I'm incredibly close with people I work with and some of my truly best friends are from work, but I think my bigger mistake, if I could sort of refine what I said was that I thought people at work would be happy for me. That was a gigantic mistake. They weren't happy for me. They were mad at me. They were mad that I had brought attention to HBR. Some of them were mad that I was going to be leaving um, because their success had been because of me or dependent on me or, um, uh, you know, or made more um, secure because of me. Um, And, you know, I thought people would be like genuinely happy that Susie, who had been through a rough divorce and never had really had a guy who had treated her in a way that she had really needed and wanted, finally had a guy that made her so happy. But my storybook romance with Jack just actually made a huge number of people mad um, and for whatever reason. And I remember one of the copy editors saying to me, um, if you think that this is a, the right way to get back at Eric, you know, you're really, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, get back. That's my first husband, who's a good friend of mine now. And I've said, I said, you think this is about getting back at Eric? <laughs> I mean, it was like everybody had their, you know, like, what? I have, you know, I mean, I, first of all, why would I ever want to do this? Father of my kids, right. blah, blah, blah. Anyway, everybody. So that was a big mistake. Because it does bring up a really interesting thing about friendship, which is that yeah. there are, you know, as I've grown, I realized that a true friend is someone who's not only there for you when bad things happen, but they're also genuinely happy for you when yeah. good things happen. Yeah. And those are harder to find, ironically. Yeah. I, I mean, agree. I still have friends from HBR. So I, I hear you. because And they were the people, Sam, who were genuinely happy for me. I think, you know, Jack was a lightning rod. And my sort of joining forces for him, for some of the true business journalists on the staff, was like I had, um, I had, you know, linked up with the enemy, right? You know, that here was mm-hmm. like, you know, we are supposed to be reporting on these people yeah, and what you're like running off with one of them. And it was, it touched some, it, you know, I, I believe Jack and I spent a lot of time thinking about what we could have done differently and would have done differently. But it also, you know, it's funny, it sort of worked itself out. As years went on, people sort of forgot about it. And then, and then we sort of became, an, you know, like an, an old married couple, you know, like we, yeah. after a while, it just sort of lost its like gasp factor. I think that, you know, like big changes in our lives 
a lot of people often weigh in and it can be hard. Um, and then we move on into a different place. I, I was curious about a different change in your life. You built a career after you graduated mm-hmm. from HBS and mm-hmm. you were having four kids at the same time, which I know and yep. Sam has three. Like that is hard. That just even like having these children going through that process is very hard and you're building a career in the middle of it. And a lot of our community um, contemplates divorced or are divorced. And you chose, and, and you got divorced during that period of your life, like with little kids. Like, what was that yeah. like, and how did you make that decision? Well, it was terrible. I mean, I got divorced because Eric, who I'd known since I was fourteen years old, and we went to high school together. Um, you know, we were just not the right people for each other, and it was just not we couldn't make each other happy. And I, I did it because I think, as is the case with almost everyone who gets divorced. Um, you either get divorced or you or a part part of you is just going to die. And I wanted to stay alive. And he, so did he. And um, it wasn't because of work and it wasn't because of the kids. I mean, we stayed together because of the kids um, as long as we could. It, it was because we were just had different values. Um, and so it was brutal. But I remember one time I, I was at a dinner party and the person I was sitting next to, we said hello. And he said, so tell me how, you know, something like, how long did it take for you to get over your divorce? And it was, it took me really aback. And I remember I had the most straightforward answer, which was that actually it was like I had a knife taken out of my side. So actually I felt better after the divorce. And I think Eric did too, in that we were finally out of pain. We had done, you know, done with this period where we had, we, we, we you know, we sincerely both tried. When you have four young children, and I also had my children, I had four children in five years. I think you beat me, but I, uh, I, we tried as hard as two people could try. And, you know, we're very, we see, we've seen each other now at our kids' weddings and we, you know, graduations and he and uh, Jack had a um, friendly relationship and, you know, we will give each other that, that we tried, we just couldn't make it happen. So it was terrible, but in a weird way, once the divorce was over, it hurt less because there wasn't the daily friction. It was just me and my kids and, there wasn't mommy and daddy not able to agree on everything. It was just mommy. How did you run your household when you were a single mom with four little kids? Well, I had a good nanny. I had a great nanny. I talked to her yesterday, as a matter of fact. Um, I'm still, I had two nannies over the course of my kids' entire upbringings, and they, I'm very close with both of them to this day. They're both grown up women with one has her own children, and the other is a wonderful, dear friend and stayed close friends with my kids. Um, I had a good help. You know, I would do it basically poorly. You know, I did the best I could. I I was the um, I I said to my kids the other day, "Hey, remember all those years where you never got enough of me? Remember all those years? Well, they've all been living with me since the <laughs> pandemic, and it's like I've made up for it now, haven't I? They see me day in and day out. I'm in their face every minute. And I finally we finally made up for it. Um, and you know, nobody saw me or got enough of me. I mean, I maybe would have done it." You know, I used to say to them all the time, I'm not going to apologize to you for working. I really want to work. And working makes me, I got, I, you know, I used to say to them all the time, they quote this back to me, someday you'll be gone, but I'll still be here. And I didn't want to be one of those women who the kids go and then the husband leaves around the same time because suddenly somebody at work is much more interesting. And the woman is standing there saying like, okay, what do I do now? I'm 50. You know, and I didn't want to, and plus I just simply loved work. It made me feel alive. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, there's some women who are totally different. I mean, God bless them. It's beautiful. You know, um, uh, and I, so I muddled through, that's the best description of it. And I knew what I thought was important in terms of being a mom. And I thought that the only thing that mattered was character. That was the only thing. So. And how uh, did that pan out? What are they like today? They're spectacular. Spectacular, thank you. They're fabulous. I used to say to them all the time, I just want to make sure that um, that when I'm not around and you're driving on the highway and you see a woman standing by the side of the road with a flat tire holding a baby on her hip, that you are the person that pulls over. And that was the shorthand for it. And but it was it was always in the little details. Like um, my one of my sons was a very fine wrestler. This is a sport that I have a love hate relationship with because wrestling opened a lot of doors for him. But wrestling is a really cruel sport. When we would talk about wrestling, we wouldn't talk about his training and we wouldn't talk about other teams and stuff like that. He was the captain for the last two years. And we talked about how he spoke to and handled and interacted with the kids on the team who were not doing well. 
So that's what it's sort of like. That's what I've, that, but look, that was the way I parented. There's a million different ways to be a mom. So many different ways to be a mom and so many of them work. Okay. That's the way I did it. And I, I have to say, like, I wouldn't, yeah, I don't, you know, it worked out share for me. With Amy, share with Amy the 10, 10, 10 philosophy that you have. It's so funny. 10, 10, 10 is this idea that just keeps on giving, right? It's it's so funny. Like somebody wrote me about it today. So I ha- wrote a, I wrote an article where I was a columnist for the Oprah magazine. And I um, wrote about this device that I had used, especially in my very tough years when I like was constantly multitasking beyond my capacity, which was a good minute by minute thing. And I used to use this shorthand device for making hard decisions, which would be to think about the decision ahead of me and um, think about the consequences of my decision options in the immediate future, 10 minutes, the foreseeable future, um, 10 months, and the the unforeseeable future, which, which would be 10 years. And then I would sort of sort through those consequences and sort of decide which one um, mattered or aligned the best or the worst with my values. And it was fantastically helpful because it slowed down my decision-making and made it much more deliberate. And I actually became a better mom because of 10, 10, 10. Now my kids use it on me all the time, but it's a good device because it opens up what you're making decisions about and what you care about. And it um, you know doesn't discount gut in decision-making but it definitely um, adds other factors. And now for a quick break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I was going to say, like, what is, what is this part of your life look like with work and adult kids? And you're a widow. Yes. Like, what is this chapter? So I've been doing some really cool things. I think that um, I still have my job at CNBC. I have a show called Get to Work, and it's make it's career videos. And a little more than two years ago, I was at a family event, um, mainly Jack's side of the family, and my grandson, and one of them, uh, Joe, came up to me, uh, right? He had just graduated from Williams, and he said to me, why isn't there a music streaming service for college students? And I said to him, Joe, I'm sure there is. And he goes, no, no. And I kept on blowing him off. And finally, to blow him off permanently, or so I thought, I said to him, can you just call Marcus and run this idea by him? So Marcus is my son, who had majored in music at Cornell and then entered the music business first at Twitter. And then he went out to work at Blizzard Activision. And he was a few years older than Joe, but they were really good friends. And they had lived together famously in New York City for a few summers when they both had music internships. And I say famously because Jack and I weren't in the apartment. So they were living in this swanky apartment in New York. And I, I don't know if we'll ever get rid of all the beer cans. But anyway, they were had great summers together living together. And so I said, <laughs> go bring, bring this idea to Joe, to, to Marcus, Joe. 
And to make a very long story short, you know, sort of fast forward six weeks later, and the two of them are sitting there in front of me and Jack in our apartment presenting a business plan for a company called Quadio, which would be um, sort of a mixture of Spotify and Facebook, but for college students who are who are artists, who are musicians. And they wanted to start this company. They had a good business plan. Jack, of course, his first question was, how do you monetize this thing? And Marcus was ready for it, my son, because uh, he knew Jack was the only, you know, was his dad basically and had raised him and you know he, he they had the great six ways to monetize it so jack said i'll give them a little money Susie, to start this i think it's fantastic they want to be entrepreneurs uh you know we give money to entrepreneurs all the time as investments why not give it to them and um they quit their jobs marcus moved back to new york they moved in together in brooklyn of course and um they started this company but jack <laughs> said you know, um, I'm going to give business money, but I'm going to make you chairman of the board. What do you think about that? I need a grown up in the room. And it has been the most wild, exciting, enjoyable, heart stopping ride of my life. Because before the pandemic, we were up to 60 people. I had just raised $5 million and I was in the office every single day and they really needed my help because they were two little bear cubs and a lot of engineers. I mean, we had 16 engineers at one point and and it was just deliciously fun. But the only problem was that was um, that Jack was dying. And he urged me sincerely to continue working at Quadio. I would come home from work and he would have this, he was not able to move around after a while. And he would have this gigantic smile on his face and his eyes would be really bright. I was in a wheelchair at this point and he would say, you know, tell me all about it. Tell me every detail. Mm. And he was like living through this entrepreneurial thing. And it was of unending joy to him that this was Marcus, who he had adopted, my son, and Joe, his grandson. And it was like we had had a kid together almost. And we were about to do a, literally, a $1.2 million marketing blitz as we dropped the app. And I was laying in bed and I had the TV on and I kept hearing about the pandemic and I was surfing the web and I like had this like sick feeling like we're going to launch a $1.2 million. I, and I had raised the money myself. So I felt very personal about it. And I thought to myself, we have to cancel the launch. And mm -hmm. I called my son, who was the CEO, and I said, we have to cancel. And he goes, no, no, we don't. No, we don't. And I thought to myself, what am I asking advice of a 24-year-old for? He knows nothing. <laughs> and I called two of the board members, David Zasloff, who's the CEO of Discovery, and Don Gogel, who's the CEO of uh, Clayton Dublier. And they were stunned to hear from me. And I said, look, oh, you know, I believe me, I didn't want to be making this phone call. I'm supposed to be laying in my bed crying. I think I have to cancel the launch. And uh, here's my thinking. I mean, our demographic is colleges. Colleges are going to close, you know, and they both said, Susie, you're absolutely right. And then I, I called the Marcus and Joe and a few others together. And I said, I'm canceling the launch. And they, to a person, they said, no, you can't do that. It's going to be fine. And I said, look, I'm the chairman of the board. This is a chair level decision. We are canceling this launch. They've all come around eating crow about 400 times since then. But, it, it, you know, I... I canceled. <laughs> so I went back to work much sooner than I should have. And it, it did have big ramifications down the road because I think I had acute grieving for much longer because I had to postpone it. And we had to let some people go. We changed our, we had to pivot because a huge portion of our business model was based on live events. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And a live events died. And so Anyway, I did that, and then I was able. Amy can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, you have that a... at the Riveter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, co-working, so... community, live events. It's been right. Yeah, it's been horrible. Yeah. Right, but I've been basically an entrepreneur for two and a half years, and you know, if somebody had told me when I was younger what fun it was, my whole career would have been different. Because there's such a huge difference between being a business journalist who writes and talks about business and being a person starting a company that you really believe in. It's so much better. And what has it been like for you socially and emotionally? I mean, it sounds like you're super busy, which probably is in many ways a blessing. Yeah. Oh, like socially. I'm like, you know, I've got my pod. Basically, I hang out with my kids. My kids are all with me um, and with their 
spouses, with the exception of my son who lives in Maine. His wife is a school teacher and they do not let the school teachers leave Maine work. I mean, it's brilliant what they, I mean, they're protecting the children. They just don't let the teachers travel. We usually do the lightning round at the end, okay. but Amy, there is one story that Susie has uh, that I really want her to share with you because I think you will so appreciate it. It's a story that's always stuck with me. I included it in my book. And I wanted you to share the Hawaii speaking oh, engagement story. Such a frightening story. So um, you'll relate to this as a mother with children is that I, when I was working at HBR, I got asked to give a speech to a group of insurance executives in Hawaii, like some huge convention, like 5,000 or 3,000 or 5,000 people, all men. And so I said, yes. And then I thought I'll bring two of my kids because, you know, what better way to sort of, you know, kill two birds with one stone. And so um, I told them I'm going to bring two of my kids. And they were like, you really can't do that. This is a work event. And I was like, don't worry. They're like little adults. You'll never notice they're there. And they were very, <laughs> they very much objected to this idea. And, but I was determined. And the day of the speech to warehouse the children, I had put them in a hula dancing class. And I went up on the stage and started to give the speech. And I mean, just people were zoning out. I mean, when I think about the speeches I give now, because I've had a lot of experience and the speech I was giving that night, uh, that, that morning was just, you know, I would have fallen asleep if I hadn't been giving it. And as I'm getting towards the end of the speech, I look out at the audience and at the way back, it was all glass doors. And I see these two little figures pressed up against the door in hula skirts. And like, they're screaming, mommy, at the time. I can't hear them, but I can see them. And it's sort of like that scene from The Graduate, you know, where he's screaming, yeah. and he's screaming, and I see them screaming, and I know that they're going to do a jailbreak, and they're going to break into the speech. <laughs> and I wrap it up. I say, hey, like, and that is the history of management. And I like, basically, like, finish up the speech. And as I, as I am wrapping it up, they, they burst in and they run down the center aisle towards me. <laughs> <laughs> They're like hugging my legs and people are walking out of the um, convention hall completely <laughs> disgusted. I mean, and I, I, des I deserved all their scorn because I was ridiculous. What was I thinking? I was thinking I was going to be the one woman who could do it all, all at the same time. No one had done it previously and no one has done it since, but I was going to be that one woman. I was going yeah. to be her. Oh yeah. my God. I was just dying laughing. I have to tell you, I'm yeah. in a closet and my <laughs> little kids were outside and they came inside with my husband and my three of my children were like trying to break open the door into the closet. And they're like, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I'm like, how do I make this stop right now? Yeah. <laughs> right. So embarrassing. The things that you do. Yeah. The things that you do. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I remember like there was a certain age where I would go on the treadmill to run and Sam remembers this. I'm sort of like addicted to running in it. And I would go on the treadmill because to leave the house would be too much because God forbid I should be a mile or two from the house and they would need me. So I would run on the treadmill <laughs> and the four of them would sit at the front of the treadmill and stare at me while I was running. That's yeah. the whole metaphor for for working, being a working mother is the children staring at you on the right, on the treadmill, waiting for you to get off the treadmill. It's like, yeah. well, it's so funny. I say like after, once I had the third child, there was no going to the gym. Like that for me was like mm. the breaking point. It's like, you can't actually leave the house to go exercise. You have to yeah, do right, it right, somewhere right, right, in the home. Yeah, so right. I got a treadmill yeah. then too. All right. It's time for Lou. Lou, are you there? Oh yeah. 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 I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm just listening. I'm admiring your intelligence and, and, and just, I, I kind of Googled you too, you know, um, so I could, I could prepare myself. <laughs> but I couldn't prepare myself <laughs> because a lot of the stories you were telling, it was, I was just captivated about. And, um, and it brought me back to one of our first guests, um, Abby and, uh, sorry, not Abby, uh, Glennon. Abby and Glennon. Yeah, Abby Ab and Glennon. Yeah, Abby and, Wambach and, they, and Glennon Doyle. And they talked yeah. about how they met each other and it was just so beautiful, you know. And, yes, it is know? so similar. Right. It's literally, it's the only other time I've ever heard that kind of lightning story is mm -hmm. Abby Wambach and Glennon Doyle. It yeah. really is the only other time. Right, you know, and it and it, yeah. it, it brought me into a moment of how how when, when two souls meet, how it's just you know it's like you can't you can't create this it, it just it's like some beautiful synergy yeah. that just happens you know and you yeah. talked about how he's how he walked away and he came back he said, I, I i i greased him you know i'm like i'm like wow he he knew that he was gonna marry you you know yeah. and it's, it's so beautiful to have yeah. to have people you know, do stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's like the beautiful side of him. So I, what I want to know, Jack does some things that, you know, 
Uh, obviously, he's not hearing it with God rest his soul. Uh, but he must have does, done some things that really kind of got under your skin, you know, but at the same time when you're like, you know, in the grocery store, you think about like, oh, what a man, you know? Yeah. Could, you, could you talk about some stuff like that? What an interesting question. Um, I will tell you that I was older and wiser when I married Jack. I mean, I was in, I was 40 when I married him and about, and I didn't want to change a thing about him. I, um, and I knew going in, there were going to be things about him that, uh, that could, that in a perfect world would have been different. Right. And I didn't, I made this sort of psychological decision just not to care. So there were things that could have driven me out of my mind. Like for instance, Jack could not make himself a cup of orange juice. I mean, he just couldn't operate in a kitchen. He just couldn't, he couldn't like make a peanut butter cracker. He just couldn't. And I just, (laughs) it could have driven me crazy because he was, you know, I had to think about his every meal, right? Like who was feeding it to him or was it going to be me? And I just decided I don't care because there's so many things about him that are so more important and so spectacular. And it used to drive my kids a little bit crazy because they didn't, they weren't madly, they loved him very, very much. And you actually couldn't, they were, that was a beautiful, beautiful thing, but they were obviously more aware of all parents' flaws than, uh, than I was. And they would say like, you know, does he ever do anything wrong? And I would say to them, not in my eyes, because I bought, I bought the whole package. I just loved him exactly as he was. And oddly, and it held me in good stead, you know, because as he got sicker and sicker, that attitude about just taking him exactly as he was came in very handy. And to just never feel like he was anything less than exactly what I wanted and needed. And people say, don't you miss going out? Don't you miss this? Don't you miss that? And I would say, no, I, I don't. I don't miss it. I, I had it. You know, like, don't you miss, Jack and I went to like 64 countries together. We used to travel constantly. Don't you miss it? And I was like, well, we did it. Um, and now we're doing something that's different. Now, now is my time to take care of him. And so if he did things that drove me crazy, I didn't care. And he was the same way back. He, he was the exact same way back. He never got annoyed with anything I did. It was really great. It's great. If you can possibly find a person who does not get annoyed with anything you do, please marry them. So, wow. That's okay. I'm crying, just so you know. So I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Susie, that was beautiful. I, 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 wish, I wish more human beings, even myself, can adopt that mindset. Well, it's not too late. Go ahead and adopt it today. It is, a, but I'll tell you something. You hit the right word because it is a mindset. I was, I was not looking for his flaws, and he was a strong personality, and it was just everything he did was okay to me. Um, and if he did something that was like, oh, I wish that had been slightly different, I just found the most tender way to talk to him about it and it worked and vice versa. So we were, I mean, I'm telling you, it was, a. I realized that it, it sounds like it's a made up thing, but it was real and it. And it, we were, I was just super lucky. Thank you. Thank you. With that, Susie, thank you so much. I adore you and you are amazing. <laughs> you. And I just so glad that you joined us. Thank you for bringing me back to the old days. I mean, I think a lot of what happens is that I dwell in, you know, you get caught up in what happened in the last couple of years. To remember those early, you know, that early decade or 15 years is really, really joyful for me. So thank you. Wow. I just can't get enough of Susie Welch. I can't either. I could have talked to her forever. And I definitely, I think this is the first time I've cried in an interview and definitely multiple times. It's not. No, it's not, Amy. You've cried before. Okay. Fine. I cry a lot, but whatever. I cried multiple times on this one. <laughs> I can't help it. I'm just so I can't remember which one. No, you cried in Vernice. Will you cried in, in Vernice oh. armor? In Vernice fly girl armor, you did cry, and you made fun of me for not crying because I'm usually the crier among us. But anyway, I, 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 I'm, I'm so glad she touched you because I just feel so compelled by her. It's not just the way she. Uh, talks or, or her story, but it's also just the way she carries herself is so inspiring. 
It is so inspiring. And I think there's, if there's one takeaway, I think for all of us, it's this. Um, it came toward the end of our discussion with Susie, but I think it's relevant to all of us during COVID. People would ask her toward the end of Jack's life if she missed traveling, if she missed going out to restaurants. And she said, we did that. You know, I had that part. And now we're in a different part. And I think if we can all adopt that mindset, we're all going through our own enormous changes. And so many people are dealing with a lot of grief, like Susie. There's just, there's a lot there. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Emma Hard, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.